Well, good evening. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And like Kurt said, I'm so, I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I'm still honestly kind of coming down off of an Easter high. I mean, I, I love Easter and I love the way our church celebrates it. I love that we have something to celebrate. And I love the way we celebrate. And we invite our whole neighborhood, invite this whole city to celebrate uh, the life that Jesus offers us. And it was such such an awesome weekend last weekend. It was fun because we had friends and neighbors of ours at the park, and then we had other friends and neighbors of ours come uh, to the gatherings on Sunday. In fact, I asked and invited all my coworkers to come on Sunday, and they all showed up, and I was, I've been praying for them for years. And so uh, it, was, it was just it was such a cool weekend. And, and there's so much to celebrate. Like Kurt said, I mean, to be able to talk with people today and pray with people after the morning gatherings, you said, hey, I, I stood up last week, and I walked into a relationship with Jesus and to see someone who's fresh on that journey of following Jesus is such a cool thing. And I, I'm just telling you as someone who has the privilege to pastor in this church, I, I'm humbled and at the same time honored to be able to be a part of what God's doing. I, it's just a very special thing. And so while there's so much excitement to Easter, what we're actually going to look at this weekend as we conclude our Come Alive series is what happens after the dust settles. What happens after the excitement of Easter? What happens when, when following Jesus gets hard and in fact when you actually want to quit? And what happens when you actually do quit? What, what do you do when you give up on God? And, and more importantly, what we're going to look at is what does he do when you do? What does he do when you give up on, on him? Kurt asked the question a second ago about maybe something you've had to quit in your life. And I've had the, I, I'm a proud quitter and I've, uh, I've actually quit several jobs and I'm really proud of that because it's always best to go out on your own terms. It's always good when you tell them you're done as opposed to them telling you you're done. I've had those too. And so I, I've, I've had several great jobs that I got to quit. Uh, the, the first one was my first job. And, uh, and obviously, or else I'd, I'd still be doing it today. And so, uh, and so, I, so I, here's the deal. When I, was, when I was in high school, when I was 15, I, I actually had a job in the uh, in-home entertainment industry uh, where, I, where I, worked for, I worked for Blockbuster Video, okay? So I worked for Blockbuster Video back when they were... Um, a company. And so I worked, I worked for them and, and I, I love, you know, my job. I was 15. And so I would literally, I would literally skateboard to work. Okay. I'd ride my skateboard to work and I was saving up to be able to buy a car and do all that. And so with my parents' help and after saving for a year, I was able to buy a car. And so getting a car meant for me that I could finally get a real job at the mall. Yeah. And so I got a job at the mall. I'm a food court living. And so I was, I was up a very clear trajectory path. And so for me, it was time to quit my, my job at Blockbuster. And so I walked in one day and I remember my manager's name was Rich. And I said, hey, Rich, you know, thank you so much. It's been great. It's, well, it, it's been rich. And, and um, I took off my customer service representative name badge and I handed it over to him like, you know, and I'm out. And, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I, I got to quit. I got to quit. And it felt so good to kind of walk out there on my own terms, you know, like I ended my job the way I wanted to end it. And it feels very, very empowering <clears throat> until you have to walk back in there a week later to rent steel magnolias for uh, your mom. <laughs> I swear it was for my mom. And uh, it's not as cool then because then you bump into your old boss that you just quit on. It's not, it can be actually kind of awkward. I don't know if you've, if you've ever bumped into an old boss of a job you left, like, hey, how have things been going? post me. You know, it's like there's not a ton to talk about anymore because you quit. 
And so I remember it'd be awkward every time because they were the only video store in our town. You used to rent video. Uh, VA. Anyway, so I, there was the only place to go, and so I'd have to see them all the time. Or maybe, maybe you haven't had that experience, but maybe uh, you've broken up with someone and you've bumped into them. And that can be really awkward, bumping into someone that you broke up with, whether you did it or they broke up with you. In fact, some of you even tonight, maybe at the 5 p.m. gathering, <laughs> because someone you broke up with goes to the 10.30, and so you have figured out how to time this thing right. You, hey, you can claim you're spiritual, and that's why you're here at the 5, but you're just avoiding them at the 10.30. That's okay, because, you know, that's an awkward thing to bump into someone after you've broken up with them, right? It's a very real, very real thing. What do you, what do, you do kind of when you're done with something or with someone. It's one thing to, to, to quit a job or to quit a gym, you know, to, to end a relationship with someone that you really love. That's very real and very hard. But the question we're going to look at tonight, this weekend, is, is what do you do when you walk away from God? What do you do when you walk away from God? I suppose the question could be as much hypothetical as it is personal. What do you do when you walk away from God? What have you done when you've walked away from God? Or when you feel like you just... You want to walk away from God. Where is it you're going when you're walking away from him? What do you do when you walk away from God? And that may not be kind of your whole story. You know, you may be like, look, I'm not, not, that's not me. I'm kind of a good, you know, I believe in God and I'm going to kind of follow him my whole life. But I bet there's parts of your heart that have walked away from God or wandered away from God. In fact, I bet, I bet what may be true of you, I know is true of me. There have been times in my life where I wasn't so much thinking I was done with God, but I assumed he was done with me. You know, maybe you're, you feel like you're just one too many unforgivable sins over the line and God's done with you. Or maybe you're just a couple more unanswered prayers away from giving up on God. You've been praying for this for years and you haven't heard anything from him and you are wondering what it would look like to wander and even walk away from him. And, and, and if you you haven't done that yet, my hunch is that maybe at some point in your life you will. Or maybe you already know what that's like. Or maybe you're here tonight and that's right where you're at. You're in the midst of kind of walking, wandering away from God and you came here as kind of one last shot, one last hope to see what he might have for you. What do you do when you walk away from God? And and what do you do when you bump back into him again? What's that like? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Someone who walked away from God and then bumped back into him again. And it's found actually in the, the book of John chapter 21. And so if you brought a Bible, you can open to John 21. If not, we've got you covered. I'm going to ask everyone to grab one of these blue Bibles if you don't have a Bible. And would you grab a pen? We're going to be circling stuff and underlining stuff. I love this. is the Bible I just grabbed to preach from today. And there's all kinds of stuff underlined and circled in here. Uh, th- so just grab a pen, grab a Bible. And in the blue Bible, it's page 757. We're going to look at someone who walked away from God and then bumped back into him again. And what that has to reveal about us and what we do when we walk away from God and what it has to reveal about God and what he does when we walk away from him. John chapter 21, page 757. Let me give you some context. Easter has happened. Okay, just like Easter happened last week. Easter at this point in the story has already happened. We've been tracking actually in the gospel account of John. John's a very unique eyewitness account to the life of Jesus because John is the only disciple to walk with Jesus through all the major significant events towards the end of his life and beyond. 
John was there at the Last Supper. John was the only disciple there at the cross. The only disciple who walked with Jesus to the cross. John was one of the first on the scene at the resurrection. And John is an eyewitness to a moment that we're about to have between Jesus and Peter. John was there and recorded it all so that we can better understand who God is and how we have relationship with him. And so he records a moment where Jesus has been resurrected by God. The cross, Easter, resurrections all happened. This is after that. And he's appeared to his followers a few times, just a few times. And so they still have a lot of unanswered questions. Even though prophecy foretold and Jesus even clarified, they still weren't expecting a resurrected Savior. And so you have some unanswered questions from them. And then you have some unfinished business between Peter and Jesus. See, in, in, the, in the chaos and commotion leading up to the crucifixion, there were several key moments where Peter was actually stopped in the crowd. And different people looked at him and said, wait a second, I, I know, I've seen you with him. You must be, do you know that Jesus? You must be one of his followers. And not once, not twice, but three times in Jesus's greatest hour of need, Peter denied that he even knew him. I don't know who he is. Never heard of him. Never met the guy. I'm not his follower. I'm not even a fan. I'm certainly not a friend of his. Not once, not twice, but three times Peter denies Jesus. And so Peter, in his own very real way, has walked away from God. And John records a moment where he bumps back into him for the first time after walking away. And what I love for us to take pay special attention to is where it is that Peter went after walking away from Jesus. This is very important because it reveals a truth about each one of us. Look at where Peter goes after, bless you, after walking away from Jesus. This is John 21 verse 3. John 21 verse 3. Look what Peter just bursts out of a room that he'd been pacing in back and forth, hiding for their lives. Peter finally has had enough punching of the wall and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going Fishing, the thing that made most sense to him in that moment. I'm going fishing. Now, why is that so important? Because that's, that's who Peter was before meeting Jesus. That was his identity. He was a fisherman. His brother was a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. Fishing is what they did. Fishing is who they were until Jesus came and said, I have a greater calling and a greater purpose and even a better name for you. His name was Simon. Jesus says, you're no longer Simon. You are Peter. You are the rock. And I am going to lead you into greater purpose for your life in relationship with me. But here Peter is after walking away from Jesus. And where is it that he goes? He goes right back to what he knows. I'm going fishing. And the, his friends, the disciples of Jesus who were with him, knew that he was not in a great state. And so they said, we'll, we'll, we'll go with you. Because we'll, no one should fish alone. It's in the Bible. And so, so they decided to go with him. And so they went out and they, and they got in the boat. But look at this. This is very important. You might, I want you to circle this or underline this. Do whatever you got to do. But that night they caught what? Nothing. That night they caught nothing. So where does Peter go after walking away from God? He goes back to what he knows. That's what you and I do. It's just true of us. When we have those moments in our life where we walk away from God or there's parts of our heart that just go, I'm going to give up hope in God. I'm going to, I can't believe that God could actually do what I need him to do in my life. And so where is it that we go? We go right back to what we know. We go right back to those old relationships, don't we? You go back to those friends you used to hang out with before you followed Jesus. Somehow you just magically find their numbers again. 
and you end up hanging out with that old crowd that Jesus actually gave you greater purpose with, you go back to those old stomping grounds that you used to go to, back to those old places that you used to think would lead to life, but it's actually the place that Jesus rescued you from. And there you are back again, back to what you know. You go back to those old habits, those old addictions, that old way of living, that way that had you at least thinking you were in control. Where does Peter go after walking away from God? He goes back to what he knows. And that's exactly what you and I so often do. And what the text says of Peter is so true of us. After a night of going back to his old life, he came up empty. And you maybe know what that feels like too to go searching back for any kind of meaning or purpose or significance in that old life and what ends up happening after all your exhausting of energy, trying to stir up something that feels like the life you had with God, you end up feeling emptier than when you started with nothing to show for it except exhaustion and a desperate and tired soul. This is Peter after walking away from God. Maybe you know a little bit what that feels like. But despite his deepest doubts, about how Jesus feels towards him. Jesus comes onto the scene to tell Peter, I am not done with you. I'm not done with you. Verse four, I love this. Early in the morning, the implication there being litter that they fished all through the night. And so early in the morning, it's still dark. You have to imagine, still dark. Jesus actually appears on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Again, they're not looking for a resurrected Jesus and here he is, just a hundred yards away from them. Now, I'll give him credit. It's dark. It's early. They're tired. They're exhausted. But they don't even recognize that the one that, you know, the person that they gave their lives to, that they followed for the last three years, that literally has performed miracles and taught them the way to have a relationship with God, they don't recognize him on the shore. So he calls out to them. I love this. Verse five. I love this. He called out to them. Caught anything yet? Now, I'm not saying Jesus is messing with them. I'm just saying. He knows that they haven't caught anything yet. And so he calls out to them in the exhaustion of going back to that old life. And he says, hey, find anything there? Caught anything yet? Come up with anything out there in those waters? After all the pulling and trolling of nets, have you come up with anything yet? No, they answered. So then Jesus says this in verse six. Why don't you throw your nets on the right side of the boat? And then you'll find some. And look at this. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now you have to think about that moment. They're, they're exhausted. They've been out all night and now they don't know what to do. They went back. Peter goes back to what he knows and he comes up empty, even emptier than when he started. Fishing all night. Now a stranger on the shore says, got anything yet? No. Why don't you throw it on the right side? If I'm Peter, I'm like, oh, you mean five feet from where we've been fishing all night. Yeah, I'm just going to throw my nets and there's going to be a miracle school of, there's a miracle school of fish, literally right there on the right side of the boat. John's looking over here and looking over there. I mean, this is a pretty powerful moment, right? Pretty powerful moment that happens. But this is more than just Jesus testing Peter. Jesus is taking Peter back. He very intentionally chooses how to not only reveal who he is early in the morning, but is reminding Peter of who he really is. Now, I want to take you back 
to when Jesus first called Peter. You don't need to turn there in your Bible. You just stay in John 21. We'll put it up on the screens. We're going to go back to Luke 5. We're going to rewind the tape three years. Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's calling disciples, ordinary, everyday folks like you and me, to follow him and to be a part of the revolution that would change the world forever. And so he goes and finds a group of fishermen. He'd been preaching to the crowds and they were kind of pressing in him. So Jesus just gets in one of their boats, literally hijacks one of their boats and says to a guy named Simon, which is actually Jesus comes to call Peter. His real name is Simon. But Jesus has a way of renaming his followers and disciples. And he says to Simon eventually, hey, your name's not Simon anymore. Your name is Peter, which means the rock, because that is who you are. But at this point in the story, he's still Simon. Look at this in Luke 5, verse 4. Again, you don't need to turn there. When he, Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard how long? All night. Does that sound familiar? We've worked hard all night and haven't caught what? Anything. But I love this. Peter goes, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. You can kind of feel the exhaustion in Peter's voice. Hey, um, Jesus, we know a little bit about you and um, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter. I don't tell you how to build a bench. You don't need to tell me how to fish. I think I know how to do this. But because you say so, to humor you, I'll lower down the nets. And then look what happens in verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat. Do you know who's in the other boat? John, whose account we've been reading of Jesus. He comes rushing over to help Peter in this unbelievable catch. And they come to the boat and they help him. And they came and they filled up both boats so full that the boats actually began to sink. I would say that's a good catch. And when Peter realizes the power of who Jesus is, when he realizes that this is not just a miracle on display, this is the Messiah on display. And the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is in his boat. Peter bursts out in Luke 5, 8, fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, just, you go, go away from me. Get away from me. Because I am a sinful man. I do not deserve to be in your presence. I don't, deserve, I, you, I don't deserve to even have you in my boat. I see who you are. And for the first time in his life, Peter was beginning to see who he was in Jesus. Powerful moment. Jesus actually says to Peter in that account, Peter, I'm going to give you a new name. Your name's going to be Peter, and I want you to understand this. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. you no longer going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for people. You're going to literally see people won over into the kingdom of God. I'm giving you a greater purpose, Simon. I'm going to give you a greater purpose for your life. Jump back to John 21, John is giving us the account of this moment that Jesus is having with Peter. And we know a little bit about John. If you've been tracking in the series, we know that Jesus gave John a nickname too. He had a nickname for all these guys. He had a nickname for John. He called him the beloved disciple or the disciple that Jesus loves. And John 
takes great liberty and reminds us frequently that that is who he is. Refers to himself in the third person more than any rapper on earth. He says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. The disciple whom Jesus loves. So he refers to himself a lot. And he always wants to let us know, it's seemingly, in the, especially in the last half of the book of John, that he's always one step, if not one lap ahead of Peter. And this is another one of those instances. Look at this in John 21, verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, again, not the humble disciple, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Don't you remember? Three years ago, don't you remember? We've been here before. It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off. He was exhausted. He had beat himself up in that old life. And he literally jumped into the water to swim to Jesus. He had that Forrest Gump moment where he just runs off the boat and the boat keeps going and crashes into the dock. He cannot believe that the Lord, Jesus, his Savior, his Messiah, his friend, is here and he's waiting for him on the shores of that old life. And so Peter races up to get to him and the rest of the disciples pull up basically right behind him. In the boat, like Peter, that was kind of unnecessary, but a great display of affection. And so... <laughs> They get there, and Peter's kind of drying off, and they get the boat onto the shore, and what is Jesus doing? I love this. Jesus is waiting for them, and do you know what he was doing? He was preparing a space for them. He was making breakfast for them. Just get that for a second. Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, is making you breakfast. Just frying fish. <laughs> waiting for them to come back to him. You have to think about how amazing that must have been that meal with him. This is the creator of the universe creating you breakfast. How do you go back to Special K after you've had breakfast made by Special J? How do you do that? <laughs> Jesus makes you breakfast and you're just supposed to go, this is delicious, Jesus. A little burnt on the toast, but delicious, Jesus. That's what he does. He creates a space for them and he creates a safe moment for them to remind them of who they are in him. And I love this. At the end of the meal, he looks right into Peter's eyes. And Jesus had a way of doing this, of speaking to someone in the context of community. And so he has a dialogue with Peter that was meant for Peter, but for everyone else to hear. And I believe it's meant for you and I tonight. Jesus says to Peter, and John writes it down to make sure he gets it all. When they'd finished eating, John 21, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now look what he calls him. Simon son of John. And do you know the last time he called him Simon, son of John? It was when he actually called him to be a disciple of his. Last time Jesus called Simon, Simon, son of God, it's actually recorded in John chapter one when Peter was called to follow Jesus. So Jesus speaks back to that old identity, to that old self, that old life. He says, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the these he's referring to there can be confusing at first pass. It, it may sound like Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? Like, do you love me more than the rest of the guys? Do you love me even more than John the Beloved? Like, do you love me more than the rest of them? Like, it's some kind of competition. It's actually not what Jesus is referring to. He's also not referring to, do you love me more than you love these friends? What Jesus is referring to is, is kind of all around them, sprawled out across the shore, the boat, the nets, that old way of life. Peter sees them over Jesus' shoulder. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? 
Do you love me more than your old ways, your ways, that old life, all those things that once felt familiar? Do you love me more than these? And, and, and Peter looks at Jesus and says, well, yes, Lord. Yeah, you know I love you. And then Jesus speaks even greater purpose to Peter. He says, okay, then feed my lambs. Three years prior, in a very similar moment, Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men and women. Now he's saying, I want you to take care of those men and women. Feed my lambs. Jesus referred to himself often as a good shepherd and that his flock knew and recognized his voice. And Jesus is saying, now, Peter, I'm going to entrust you to be a shepherd of this little flock, this little flock that would become the church. The reason you and I are here today. Jesus says, look, if you love me more than these, then take care of my people. Take care of people who will betray you. Take care of people who will attack you. Take care of people who will reject you. Hey, Peter, take care of people who will ultimately kill you. If, if you love me, then take care of that which is mine, my people. And Jesus looks at Peter again, verse 16. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Again, remember, I just said it a second ago. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay. Then take care of my sheep. You take care of my flock. You take care of these people. Now look at this in verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look at the response. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Now, why was Peter hurt? <laughs> was he hurt because he thought Jesus wasn't listening or paying attention like Jesus is texting? Do you love me? Was he doing that? Not at all. <laughs> was Jesus trying to test Peter? test him to see if you really did love him, you know, ask him three times to really see if you really did love him, you know. Was Jesus punishing Peter? I, if I were Jesus, that's what I'd want to do. Hey, you hurt me. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to hurt you. Where were you in my greatest hour of shame and need? I'm going to let you feel a little bit of what I felt. I, I'm telling you, it's why I'm not Jesus. You're lucky I'm not. Was Jesus making Peter prove his love to him? Absolutely not. Jesus was proving his love to Peter. The reason Peter's heart ached the third time Jesus asked is because something went off inside his soul that remembered how many times he had denied Jesus. Not once, not twice. How many times? And so three times, Jesus intentionally says, do you love me? I know you denied me. Do you love me? I, I know you walked away from me. Do you love me? I know you lost faith in me. Do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus very specifically and very intentionally covers over every one of Peter's denials with his invitation of love. And it broke Peter's heart when he realized what Jesus was doing. The extent of his love that would cover over what Peter had done. 
And Peter said, clearly, Lord, you know, you obviously know all things. You know what I did even when you weren't there. You know all things and you know that I love you. So Jesus said, okay, then feed my sheep. See, what Jesus is doing here is not punishing Peter, but giving him a greater purpose, calling him into a greater purpose. Peter, for every time, for every time, You denied me, Peter. I am extending my love to you. For every time you turned your back on me, I am opening my arms to you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? For every time you walked away, I walked after you. I think we ask ourselves the honest question, what do we do when we want to walk away from God? Where is it that we go? I think a more important question for you to consider tonight, the question that actually leads to transformation, is this. We know where we go, but what does God do after you've walked away from him? What does God do after you've walked away from him? What we see here in this example of Jesus and again and again and again taught throughout the Bible is the place that God goes after you've walked away from him is that he walks after you. He walks after you. No matter how many times you've walked away, no matter how far you've gone, he walks after you. No matter how lost you are, In the waters of that old life, he is standing on the shore saying, I'm here, I'm here. I have never left you. I have never walked away from you. My love does not keep score, but offers itself fully and freely to you. I am here inviting you back into relationship with me. No matter how many times you've walked away, no matter how far you've gone. He has been walking after you your whole life. Your whole life. And in moments like this, we get a glimpse not only of who God is and the extent of his love, but who we are in him, how much we matter to him. And so the question I think that we all have to ask in light of finding ourselves in the story and seeing ourselves in Peter and seeing the heart of God on display through Jesus is simply this. Are there any parts of your heart right now that are wandering away from God? Any parts of your story where you've been maybe subtly, maybe slowly, but kind of taking some steps away from God because you're not sure if he's ever going to come through. Have you ever wondered if there's any part of your heart that has been wandering from God? Is there any chapter in your story where you have walked away from God? Some people call it college. (laughs) Maybe you spent a lot of years walking away from God. Hey, maybe you've been running away from God as fast as you can. And what would it look like for you to turn around and see he's been chasing after you? walking after you, running after you. This is the heart of the Father on display in Jesus. After the cross, after the resurrection, he seeks out Peter and says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you love me? Because you're invited back into relationship with me and you're actually invited into a greater purpose with me. Are there any parts of your heart that have been wandering away from God? 
Maybe for you, it comes from such a deep wound, such a deep place of pain. You have been so hurt and you've wondered if God would ever heal that part of your heart. And so silently, secretly, subtly, without even realizing it, you've been locking the doors to that part of your heart and walking away from God, assuming that you are left on your own to take care of it yourself. Or maybe you have caused great pain to others. Maybe you have hurt others so bad, you thought that now you were disqualified from God's love. You hurt others so bad, he's going to make you pay for what you've done. Your addiction got so out of hand and out of control that you not only hurt yourself, but you hurt those around you who actually were trying to help you. And so what good would you be to God anymore? Or the divorce was so bad, or the, 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 the business came to such a terrible end that you don't even talk to those people anymore, and you wouldn't even know what to say because your heart is so filled with shame and regret over what you've done, and you assume God felt the same way about you. Are there any parts of your heart that have been walking or wandering or running away from God? Maybe for you, you've been praying and praying and praying and praying and haven't seen God move or answer the prayer the way that you're looking for. And you've been wondering quietly if it would be better to just wander and walk away. To just go back to your old life and the old ways that made sense to you. The ways that got you through in the past. Ultimately, they're the ways that led you to Jesus, but they're so familiar, that's all you know. Are there prayers that you've been praying that have gone unanswered? And you're just wondering how much longer you can take and how much longer you're actually going to give God on this one. Maybe for you, you started out with such good intentions. You had such good intentions to follow God, right? Maybe it's a kid or, or recently you kind of gave your life to following God and, and things were seemingly going like up and to the right, like things were going great. But then it got hard and life is real and life is difficult and life can be painful at times and following wasn't as fun anymore. And you started out with great intentions, but now you're wondering if the invitation still stands for you because you feel like you've blown it so bad, haven't lived up to your potential. Whose potential? I was talking to someone recently who started the 90-day the giving challenge with our church. It was, a, it was a very innocent conversation that quickly turned into an on-the-spot confessional. And so we were just kind of talking, and this, they'd never, she'd never before in her life ever like given to God consistently, never given back to God, first time in her life, and started really strong, so excited. She goes, it was so great, like the first month was so great, and I kind of set aside my whole budget and did it, and then like my business was really kind of struggling, so I had to like pull back a little bit, and then to be honest, I haven't really given in a while, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, that's not, your beef, that's not with me. That's between, that's, that's between you and God. And here's what I know about the heart of God. You just come back to him where you're at and say, God, will you let me start again? Can I start with you again? Can you, can you take me where you find me right here, God? All my good intentions may have fallen by the wayside, but you have not failed me once. Maybe for you, maybe for you, you've been giving up on God, walking away from God because you've been deeply hurt or wounded by the church. Now look, the truth is no one gets hurt by the church. The church is just made up of a bunch of people, but the people in the church can really hurt you. And maybe someone in the church has really hurt and wounded you. You've been judged by someone in authority. You've been looked at sideways. You've not been welcomed into community. You've tried really hard and felt really rejected at a church, maybe even this church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
And I hope you would hear tonight that while you may have had a bad run with the church, the God who is greater than the church stands before you tonight and says, I'm here. You can trust me. You can trust me. And you have met some of my broken sons and daughters. And I'm sorry that they've wounded you. But you can trust me. Are there any parts of your heart and your story where you felt, if you were being really honest, you've been walking away from God? And what would it look like for you tonight to turn around and come back to a God who's been coming after you your whole life. He's been coming after, walking after you. And I know you're thinking, well, I kind of missed my moment last week, Easter. I won't get this number counted in that number that Kurt read earlier. Like I kind of missed the magic moment of Easter. It doesn't matter. The invitation stands every moment of your life. You don't have to wait for like a perfect Sunday. Today's that day for you to turn around and come back to the God who's been coming after you your whole life. You don't have to wait. You don't have to make any more excuses. You can turn around and come home tonight. I got an email this last week from someone who had a very similar experience, maybe to yours. So great to actually talk with him today at the 1030 service and to pray together. This is a guy who'd been around religion, been around kind of the things of God for a long time in his life. But finally last weekend really had an encounter received the invitation from Jesus to come home. I'll read you his, his email, and maybe it might resonate with your story and where you're at tonight. He says this, On Easter Sunday, I stood up to express that I wanted to begin a relationship with God, truly, for the first time in my life. I've been so lost for such a long time. Maybe you can relate to that. I've been so lost for such a long time. And he says, I don't want to be lost anymore. I'm ready to fully open up my, my arms and my heart. Uh, he says, my wife has actually had a relationship with God for a long time. Maybe you've been in a relationship like that. Maybe you've been married to a spouse like that. You kind of see that they have a relationship with God, but you haven't quite been there. Maybe they're growing in their relationship with God and you are not. And that's kind of the home that he was living. He saw his wife having a relationship with God. In fact, he said, I was raised around religion. I love that phrase. I was raised around religion, but there was no choice on my behalf which actually made me not care about it at all. Faith wasn't talked about in our home. We didn't attend church regularly, but my family always sort of put up a religious front. And I'm not quite sure how much belief was actually ever there. I just went on with life not believing, but actually ignoring God entirely. He said in college, my, my wife and I tried a few churches, but I guess I just, I just wasn't interested. And then he says this, and I think this is so interesting. He said, the the new path for me began about a year and a half ago when a friend was baptized at Soul City Church. So here's a guy who's been kind of around God and looking for God his whole life. And a friend of his, a buddy he's known his whole life, gets baptized at Soul City Church. I'm going to hit pause on the email. You you, you can't even see the email, but I'm going to hit pause on the email for a second and say this. This is why baptism is so important to us. That's why it's so important to our church. Because I've worked really hard on this sermon this week. But I'm telling you, one baptism is better than any sermon I could ever write. Because you get to see what transformation looks like in public. And that's where this guy's heart began to break. And that's where his story with Jesus began. A year and a half ago, he came and saw his buddy Sean get baptized. And he said something began to change in him. And he said, look, it was all kind of 
new and very foreign to me, but interesting. He said, I don't think I've ever been so inspired in my life. And so he said, I'm ready to start the rest of my life on the right path with Jesus. Goes on to talk about some tough stuff going on in his life right now, some financial realities, some job stuff. In fact, I'm praying for some stuff for him that's going on right now tonight. But he ends by saying this, life is very hard and very stressful right now, but I want to follow Jesus and be filled with his love and be by his side for the rest of my life. See, that's the invitation that's given to someone who enters in to a relationship with Jesus for the first time. That's the invitation for you who may have been walking with Jesus for a very long time, but there's parts of your heart that have been walking away from him. The invitation still stands for you. You can walk through this life side by side with him, with Jesus. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, the invitation still stands. It's for you too. It's for you and you can come home to him. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to pray for us and give us a moment to really consider that. Consider the places maybe that you've been walking away or maybe you're in a season of walking away from God and what it would look like for you tonight to turn around and say, no, I'm going to come back. I see Jesus standing on the shore of my old life waiting for me. I'm going to come back and come home to him. And then we're going to sing a song here in a moment that declares the reality of God's love for you as made evident through Jesus and his restoring of Peter and is inviting you back into relationship with him. So let me pray with us and then we'll conclude our time here together tonight. Jesus, thank you so much that you did not stop before the cross, that you did not stop at the cross, that you did not stop at the empty tomb, but you went to find and restore Peter and you're doing the same here tonight. God, I know that there are folks, I know that there are folks here tonight who've been walking away from you and they know it. They know they've been walking away from you. And tonight they're hearing your heart call out to them from the shore of that old life saying, you can come home. And God, for the parts of our hearts and our lives that we don't even realize we have shut you out of and have been locking the doors and walking away from you, would you by your love tonight give us the courage to open those doors back up and to turn around and find that you have been walking after, running after, chasing after us our whole life. Thank you, God, that your love is reckless and relentless and you refuse to leave us alone. Thank you for that, God. I thank you for that. I have a thousand reasons why you should have nothing to do with me, but God, you gave me one and it's your son, Jesus. And in him, I find who I am and receive a greater calling and a greater purpose for my life. And I pray that that would be the case tonight, that people would come home to you and find a greater purpose and calling for their life. God, I pray it would happen tonight. I pray it by the name and life and love of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for how you love. You love us so well. You love us so completely that you refuse to leave us alone. Thank you for that. It's in your name that we pray and sing. Amen.